Download the Odds Checker Bet Hub app today and bet with 12 different bookies in one app. Log in and place bets with all your favorite bookies without leaving the app. View all your balances and deposit easily. Why spend time jumping around between different apps and websites? Read tips, compare odds and place bets, all with Odds Checker Bet Hub. Available on iOS. Welcome to a very special episode of the Odds Checker podcast where we are looking ahead to the Masters, the first major of the golfing calendar and one of the highlights of the sporting year. And I am joined by four great guests to guide you through the market and to give some insight ahead of the event. We've got Ben Coley, tipster extraordinaire for sporting life and someone who anyone who bets on golf should read his column weekly. Uh, Rishi Passad, who'll be there at Augusta as he has been for the last few years with the BBC. Pat Mayo, who has his own podcast, The Pat Mayo Experience, and works for DraftKings with a huge following uh, from Canada and uh, certainly a shrewd person to listen to as well. And Odds Checker's very own Niall Lyons, who tips for us. He's 80 points plus up for the year. These four guys know everything there is to know about the Masters, and uh, I'm going to be speaking to them one by one over the phone. Uh, to get their take on what's sure to be a magical week. So firstly, I'm joined by Ben Coley, golf tipster for Sporting Life and someone whose columns weekly are must-reads for any golf fan out there, even if you aren't really much of a punter. So Ben, from a kind of tipping perspective, how do firstly majors change from, from the way you approach them and, and specifically the Masters? The difficulty with majors, uh, as someone who writes previews that, that people read, obviously, you get new readers for the majors that you don't get for the rest of the year. So I feel that there's more pressure because you've got these people who actually bet on golf four times a year and they, they read, oh, you've had this winner and that winner and they expect you to have the winner. And it's a bit like saying to a horse racing tipster, I'm going to judge you only on the Grand National. And I think they'd all have a bit of a problem with that. So there's a bit of pressure to find winners. Fortunately, it went quite well last year. Um, but I've still not tipped the Masters winner in, in four or five years of trying. The good thing is, of course, about Augusta in particular, is that we're judging the same set of variables really every year. So in theory, in the same way that a player who plays in the Masters six or seven times should gradually get to grips with the course, uh, I should be able to get to grips with what's required and, and hopefully have a good stab at finding the winner. Um, but in majors, the temptation really is always to focus on the best players, but actually in the Masters, it's not always the case that one of the favourite wins it is always the case, generally, that one of the class acts wins, but often just in that second wave of the market. So that's often the area I, I look to target, um, but so far without success, but I'm sure that's about to change. I hope people didn't turn off when you said, I've yet to tip the winner in four or five years, because Ben is a fantastic tipster. If you haven't um, checked out his column before for Sporting Life, I recommend you do and do in the majors, as he says. Um, in, in my experience, kind of betting on the event uh, in the Masters, the, the, the positive thing is that you can basically draw a line through half the field. Is, is that something you agree with? Yeah, I mean, Jeff Ogilvy always used to say that this should be the easiest tournament to win, not just major, tournament. And that's because you've only got between 80 and 100 players. Um, 10 of them, 15 of them are the likes of Ian Woosnam and Sandy Lyle and Larry Myers, who've got no chance to win. Um, and then you can throw in the odd invite or the odd player who qualified maybe 18 months ago. An example might be Billy Horschel, playing awfully at the moment, but he qualified for this uh, midway through last year. You've got players like that, and all of a sudden you're down to maybe 50 or 60. So versus the Open Championship, say, where we've seen players at 500 to 1, like Darren Clark when he won it at 200 to 1, and Todd Hamilton and Ben Curtis, the Masters doesn't really have that history of big upsets. There have been some shocks, no doubt, but even if you think in recent years, maybe Danny Willett was the biggest shock, certainly in the way it happened. 
you know, he'd won earlier that year in Dubai. He'd contended in a World Golf Championship, and he was about 66 to 1. So it's not a massive upset. And I think that does help narrow down the field. It's not to say that someone at 150 to 1 couldn't finish maybe fourth or fifth, but it's very, very difficult to see some of those guys winning. Um, so it, it does certainly help you narrow uh, the focus on the head of the market, or at least the head of the world rankings and, and the players that have been yeah. winning this year. And as such, I mean, we are going to, with you, look at the top of the market. Anyone who hasn't read Ben's um, kind of player-by-player account on the Sporting Life website should give it a read. It's, it's both informative and very amusing at the same time, going through each player with a small write-up uh, on each, um, some longer than others, it's fair to say. Uh, with you, I think we'll go, go from the top of the market down to about the 20 to 1 mark and go through each one and, and just kind of speak to you about how you think they're going to fare because this looks on paper to be arguably the trappiest Masters in a long time with about 10 or 15 players making up that bracket between about 9 to 1 to about, to about 20, 25 to 1. And to kick off, the favourite is best price 10 to 1 is a player that you wagered a few points on in this event last year in Rory McIlroy. How do you think, at, at about the same price I think uh, he was last year to this year, how do you think his chances compare uh, since when you tipped him in 2017? Yeah, it's quite interesting. I think on the one hand, uh, this is more competitive than it looked last year. Obviously last year Dustin Johnson was dominating golf, but actually behind him, you know, Phil Mickelson wasn't winning tournaments, Tiger Woods wasn't in the event, uh, Bubba Watson was, was woefully out of forms. So many of these players who are now big Masters players, a year ago they weren't. And to me, I thought Rory at the time had a good chance to beat Dustin Johnson. What we didn't know then that we do know now is that the rib injury was still bothering him. Um, and it didn't really stop him at Augusta. I wouldn't use it as an excuse. But on reflection, 12 months down the line, he's fitter now. He's won again. We saw him won just a couple. Of, he won a couple of weeks ago at the Arnold Palmer. And although that was a freak putting performance, it was also the product of Rory McIlroy's elite game under pressure, uh, the raising of his game when it mattered the most. And I think he's an extremely rare talent. It is too easy to forget with players like Dustin Johnson and Bubba Watson and all those others I've mentioned. Rawley's on a different plane, even to Dustin Johnson, in my opinion. You know, he's a three-time major, sorry, a four-time major champion, uh, and we shouldn't forget that. We tend to underestimate him when he goes through these fallow periods. Whether or not I think he deserves to be favourite is slightly different, and despite saying that he's on another level for DJ, uh, I think that's a, a more general comment. I think in terms of recent form, obviously Johnson's been playing better for a sustained period of time. So the question with Rory is, can he... Can he produce the putting he needs to produce, which he did at Bay Hill? If he can, he's clearly built up that bank of Augusta experience right back from when he should have won this in 2011. And I'm firmly a believer that he will win a green jacket, whether it's this year or not. I think he's probably about the right sort of price. But if he plays like he did at at Bay Hill, he will be the man to beat. Are there there concerns about his putting? I mean, it's always the old adage that you need to be able to putt on those tricky Augusta greens, and it's certainly been the weakest part of his game consistently. Although, obviously, as you say, he does have that ability to run very hot. Yeah, one of the interesting things about Augusta, I think in golf in general, people think it's all about putting, and that is a bit of a nonsense, I'm afraid, and (laughs) the statistics prove it. And what's interesting about putting is that it's the hardest to predict facet of any golfer's game. So on any one week, any golfer can be brilliant with the putter. Some do it more often than others, but it can happen to anyone, just as we saw with McElroy at Bay Hill. And if you look at the Masters, yes, the people who've won it have putted well, but would you have expected them to at the start of the week? Often the case is no. Sergio Garcia last year, he putted yeah. well. Would you have said Garcia will putt really well this week? You'd probably have said, well, maybe he won't. Same with Bubba Watson. He's won it twice. He's not a good putter. Adam Scott's won it. He's not a good putter. Bubba Watson, um, Charles Schwartz, or, you know, so many of them. There are good putters. Phil Mickelson and Jordan Speed would be two good examples. But generally speaking, 
when someone's going to pop well, which is why it's the, the aspect of golf I tend to worry least about, and you just sort of hope for that. That's where luck comes into golf punting and golf tipping. You just hope that on the week that you've predicted a player can have a lot in his favour, that the putter also gets hot. And if it does, then you've got the winning formula. So I wouldn't worry too much about Rory's putting because he can put well enough in those sort of streaky periods to contend in any event, and that includes the Masters. One player who can certainly run very hot on the greens um, is Justin Thomas. I think, what is it, seven wins from his last 33 events? I mean, it's almost Tiger-esque, that, from, from back in the day. I mean, he is, he is 10 to 1 alongside uh, Justin, uh, sorry, Dustin Johnson, who's 12 to 1, and we'll come on to Tiger Woods in a second at 14s. I mean, Justin and Dustin um, are two pretty, pretty scary, uh, on their game, pretty scary golfers. And I must say that Skybet playing 10 places on Justin Thomas at 10 to 1 seems like a bit of a steal. Um, how do you see those two going into the week? Yeah, I, I think they're the most solid two. Um, you know, the positives and negatives for every single player in this field. But I think if you were to ask me which player should be favourite, it probably would be Justin Thomas by a narrow, narrow margin from Dustin Johnson. Um, there are only two negatives with Thomas. One is that winning the Masters would see him go to world number one, and that did affect him in the match play. Yeah. He said so himself. He so said so himself, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, but he's a quick learner. It got to him in the match play. I would happily bank on it not getting to him next time. The other concern, and people who really like their Masters trends will, will be really worried about this one, is that he's only played it twice and he's yet to break 70. Uh, generally speaking, Masters champions have broken 70 at the course at some stage in the past. Again, Justin Thomas is on this sort of career arc that he's improving faster than the market can account for and I think faster than most people watching can, can accept. Uh, and the strike rate he's producing at the moment, which includes a major championship win, don't forget, last August yeah. when he was a 50-to-1 shot remarkably. Um, he's improving so fast that he, these two little concerns, they feel like nitpicking, uh, and he seems bound to go well. Dustin Johnson, I think people all of a sudden think he's not playing very well because he was, he was pretty poor at the match play. If you go back before that, he won in Hawaii at the start of the year. He's yet to finish outside the top 20 of a stroke play event this season. I, I don't really see the match play as a big concern. You know, he did miss a few short putts, but as I just said, um, that can turn as quickly, uh, you know, come as quickly as it goes and things like that. So um, they're, the, they're the two who will fight for favouritism, uh, or, or should fight for favouritism, in my opinion. Obviously, Rory looks like he might go a favourite, but it much will depend on who gets tipped and things like that. But uh, no, I see no real negatives for those two. Dustin Johnson uh, has got a very good progressive Augusta record, and, and it seems a matter of time before he goes very close to winning one of these. Next up are two golfers who I think if I was an odds compiler would give me the biggest headache um, in the event in Tiger Woods and Jordan Spieth. Uh, Tiger, Tiger's price ranges from 9-1 to one in places to as big as 14-1. to one. Uh, That's with Betfred and, and Jordan Spieth around about the 12-1 to one mark across the board, 14s around as well. Um, in Tiger Woods def- certainly comes into the event surely, irrespective of anything else, as, as, as the Augusta specialist in the field. Um, and his golf does look absolutely fantastic. I mean, where, how do you see that price reflecting in his, in his chances? I think pricing Tiger Woods has been the great challenge of this year for golf odds compilers and assessing whether they're right, the biggest challenge for people like me. Um, you know, obviously he was 17th here in 2015 when in no kind of health or form. And I think that reminds us that Augusta, you know, the course he knows so well, the course where he's won four times, uh, he's had 12 top six finishes in 19 visits. He can play here blindfold, so he only has to be playing decent golf to be a, a factor. Um, so if you look at it that way, I, I think prices in the 14-1 to 1 region are very fair. We're talking about the, the greatest golfer in modern history, perhaps all time, and I'm done underestimating Tiger Woods. I've done it before, I've made mistakes doing that before, and seeing him come back and produce this sort of golf, this sort of swing speed, uh, and the all-round quality of his game, 
after spinal fusion surgery uh, it's just remarkable and I would love to see him as we all would I'm sure uh, wearing that tiger red in contention on Sunday I can see it happening I can't still get my head around what sort of price he should be I lean towards the upper end I don't think a single figure price should appeal to anyone really um, and there are, there's just that little concern that at Bay Hill and at the Valspar Championship, the last two events he played prior to Augusta, he got a chance to win and he didn't take it. And that's really harsh of me to say that about him, given what he's been through. But if we were talking Tiger Woods 15 years ago, he would have taken both. And Bay Hill in particular, when he hit the ball out of bounds on the 16th tee, when he just got right there ready to win, just before Rory went crazy, that really does suggest that maybe, although he's back playing top-level golf and he can contend for any tournament, he is not the player he was. And that's difficult to comprehend, difficult to, to say, and, and it feels like a criticism, but you have to be fairly ruthless in, in betting. So for me, that's the concern, which will probably see me overlook him. But, you, I mean, you, um, you, but you, I'll you, be cheering him on. You, you, As for speed, his yeah. record of the course is phenomenal. He's led after eight of his 16 rounds here. That, that's just crazy for, you know, particularly given the first time he played it, you know, debutants just don't contend at Augusta. He did. He almost won it when Bob Watson took his uh, second green jacket. So his record, of the course, is phenomenal. He's been poor this year. He's not got a top five finish. He's not been putting well. He's not in the form he was when he won this in 2015. But a bit like Woods, I, I'm not underestimating Jordan Spieth. He'd won three major championships before his 24th birthday. And I think he's the best in world golf from a mental perspective and from a preparation perspective. So he's the one that's really tempting me at the moment of all the market leaders, to be honest with you, because he could go off 16 to 1. If he plays poorly in Houston, he could go off 20 to 1. You know, whatever price he is, it will tempt me, definitely. Do you think Spieth's price is, is more, I mean, he obviously isn't playing at his best, and, and people who maybe don't watch a lot of golf during uh, the season but, but love the Masters listening to this podcast will probably be pretty surprised to see that Tiger Woods is a shorter price than Jordan Spieth. Um, but is, is that partly because of just the, the, the good form of all the primaries, really? I mean, normally, you know, I, I don't think he was in fantastic form at times last season going into majors, and he was still being priced up amongst the favourites. So is it a case of just the wild golf being in quite a strong position? Yeah, there, there's no element of that. I, th- I think over the last three months, all sorts of players have, have laid down their cards for Augusta, and he hasn't. Um, but he doesn't need to, you know. Um, he, they're, they're there already. So... That does explain his price. The, the difficulty for a punter um, and for a bookmaker, really, is to balance the sort of short-termism of all betting markets. Um, you know, everyone's talking about Bubba Watson. No way should Bubba Watson be the same price as Jordan Speed. Not on any measure yeah. should he be the same price as Jordan Speed for any golf tournament at any course. <laughs> Even if he starts with a shot lead, I, I'm just not interested in the idea that they've got an equal chance. Uh, and yet that's what we're, we're getting towards, and it's very short-termist. But it's quite possible to argue that there are issues with Jordan Spieth's game right now which he cannot solve in time for Augusta. Um, I don't think that's the case, personally. I think he can solve them. I I think people underestimate him. I think that happens week in, week out. He's the one player at the top of world golf because he doesn't have these demonstrable talents. He doesn't hit the ball 350. He doesn't doesn't look like he's got this swing that you would put in a coaching manual. Um, People think he's somehow some ordinary golfer who happens to have won three majors. I think he's an extraordinary golfer who will win at least another three. Uh, I think he's an otherworldly talent of, of the Rory level, the like of which we haven't seen between Tiger and I think the market will. I, I think it's very unlikely he goes anywhere close to challenging for favoritism. And, and like I said, that's what makes him tempting to me because he's contended every time he's played Augusta, good form and bad. 
and uh, I'll be a little surprised if he's not right up there again. Um, so you mentioned Bubba Watson there, who is, um, yeah, some firms having the same price as speed. He is as big as 18 to 1 in a place at Betfred. Um, in between the two is Justin Rose, a, a man who broke my heart last year, um, but I've been backing him ever since that fateful day last April, again, this time around. And he's, and he's been, you know, shortened up accordingly now, best price 14 to 1. Um, and he's a player whose master's record is, I mean, not unparalleled, but it's, it's pretty awesome. Um, and again, people might be surprised to see him as short as, as, as Jordan Spieth. Do you think he'll be able to overcome the heartache of last year and get himself into contention again? That's an interesting point. And I actually think with, with, just, with most players, I think it would be a big issue. I think certain players would find that very, very hard to get over and they would feel like their chance had gone. And I think Garcia would have been a great example. If Garcia had lost that playoff, I would have happily come on here and said, he's not going to win a Masters. Yeah. Justin Rose, I think, has got one of the strongest minds in, in sport, and I think it will only increase his chance. Um, I think we saw a little lull after Augusta last year, but then by the end of the season, he was playing the best golf of his life, as if to say, right, I should have won that, I'm going to be in perfect shape to, to correct that next year. Don't forget as well, he, as you'll know, he was second as well a couple of years, so yeah. that's two runner-up finishes in the last three years. He's never missed the cut at Augusta. I think his price probably is a reflection of modern bookmaking in that we now get 10 places or 8 places and the market has to reflect their place chance as much as it does their win chance. Yeah, of course. I think if you were forcing people to bet win only and you said Justin Rose or Jordan Spieth, you'd have to come down with Spieth on the grounds that you know he's probably more volatile in terms of where he might finish next week, but he's got a bigger chance to win than Rose. I think Rose is bound to play well, though, and I think people taking 8 and 10 places at 14 and 16 to 1, you'd be fairly disappointed if at least on Sunday afternoon you're not in with a chance of landing the place part and probably the win. He's rock solid, and it would be great to see him win because he, he should have won last year, and I think he got lost a little in the in the drama of Sergio winning and, and how great that was for, for most casual golf fans. For Justin Rose, it was very, very difficult to deal with. He dealt with it brilliantly. Um, because he's a, he's a quality human being, and I hope to see him in contention again, and he's playing superbly. As do I. It was a very sunny Sunday that in April last year, which when I was at a barbecue, meaning that by the time he was throwing it away on, on 13, I was in no state to be thinking about hedging out, so I'm bitter still. But his, uh, <clears throat> his, um, his form figure since 2007, uh, 5th, 36th, 20th, 11th, 8th, 25th, 14th, 2nd, 10th, 2nd. I mean, that's pretty awesome. Um, so it means, as you say, someone who's surely going to go well. Um, looking at the last few before at, at kind of the top end of the market, Jason Day, another one who'll catch people's eye at, um, at about 18 to 1. Um, a player who promised so much at Augusta early on in his career, but fair to say he hasn't really fulfilled that. Yeah, very fair, very fair. He, uh, he maybe ought to have won this the, on his third visit. So he was placed on two of his first three and withdrew in between. Uh, the, the year Adam Scott won it, he, he quite possibly should have. Um, but he wasn't quite ready. He wasn't winning tournaments regularly at that point. He, he is now, um, and he's back to winning form this year at Torrey Pines. He must have a big chance. I think when Jason Day was world number one in 2015, he had the most complete game in golf. You know, he hits it a long way, he hits it high, um, but he can flight it in the wind like he showed at the Open Championship in 2015 as well. Uh, and crucially, he's got a really good short game. So you look at him, you think, well, yeah, there's no reason he shouldn't go well at Augusta. And his record, although he's not contended, for a couple of years now, his, his record's still very good there. Um, so he would be a big factor for me, and he, he further complicates the front of the market because I think, a bit like Justin Rose, if you like, he's bound to play well. And I think when uh, when Day won his first major championship in 2015, we all thought 
uh, a second would follow and, and there's still every chance that it does because he's fit and healthy again and some off-course issues seem to be behind him so no reason he shouldn't play well and he's had a very light schedule as if to prime himself for Augusta uh, and that's something he's done in the past successfully. And then 47-year-old, nearly 48-year-old Phil Mickelson, um, as short as 14 to 1 in places, but also 22 to 1 around as well. Another player who, who knows what, what it takes to win a green jacket. Um, can you see lefty uh, kind of turning the tournament on its head for, for the oldies? There's no reason why not, is there? I mean, I'm trying to find negatives with Mickelson, and the only one I could find, really, were there two. His age, um, and yet, really, is, is, that, is that really an issue? We saw, you know, you know couples used to... <laughs> at least contend here age 50 odd yeah. um, so you know 47 it shouldn't be a problem and really you look at his form it's as good now as it probably has ever been in terms of the, the statistics he's producing the fact he's not winning at the frequency he used to win is probably a reflection more of the competition and um, his Augusta record is brilliant the only other negative I could find really was that he's without his former caddy Jim Jim Mackay uh, better known as Bones yeah. and he's got his brother on the bag and obviously he's not stopped him winning in Mexico but that's a new golf course that his old caddy wouldn't have known I just wonder whether around Augusta he'd have benefited more from, from Mackay on the bag than, than his brother that said uh, you know I'm really searching desperately for negatives there aren't really any um, he has a massive chance as well it's a really strong front of the market and final two we'll touch on before closing up. Uh, John Rahm, who obviously had his, had his pipe opening run last year, so comes into this with his, as a second Masters. And Ricky Fowler, another man that you tipped each way and in 2017, both available at 25 to 1 with Betfred, but shorter in most other places. Yeah, I think Fowler's, Fowler, for me, is the one I find easiest to dismiss. And it's got nothing to do with his game for the course um, or whether I think he'll win a major at some point. That, that's by the by. The issue for me is that he's exactly the same price he won last year. Last year, he'd won the Honda Classic, and he'd finished third in Houston. He'd made six cuts in seven starts. He'd won. He'd got two top fives. This year, he's not had a single top ten in a full-field event. Uh, he's missed a couple of cuts. He's been bad in contention, both in Phoenix and in the Arnold Palmer. So whereas a year ago, I felt like he was primed to go well, top of his game, feeling confident. This year, he's mixing around with his swing, and he's been very, very poor in contention. And also, if you look at the intervening 12 months, Spieth's won another major. Justin Thomas has won a major. DJ remains world number one. Rory's won again. Phil's won again. Uh, Bubba's won again. Tiger's a golfer again. <laughs> and Fowler's not much. Uh, you know, something has to give somewhere, and I think it should have been Fowler. I understand why it isn't. Again, it probably comes back to that eight and ten places that we're, we're offered. Um, yeah. But I don't think the market has reflected how golf has changed a little bit in the last year. Uh, as for John Rahm, it's really interesting that, you know, he could have started favourite for this. When he won the Career Builder Challenge back in January, I think, you know, he'd won two of his last four events. Everyone's talking about this sensational John Rahman and, and the sky's the limit. And all of a sudden, he's out to 25s, whereas Bubba Watson, who was 66 back yeah. in January, uh, is shorter in the market. Yeah. And it just shows you how, how much focus there is on the last three or four weeks rather than the last three or four months. He's tempting because on his debut here last year, he was sixth at halfway. He faded a little over the weekend, but he's got that experience now and feels a matter of time to me that he, he contends for a major and I don't see why it shouldn't be this one so Ram is more tempting to me than perhaps say Tiger and Bubba maybe even Phil whether or not he makes my staking plan I'm not sure at this moment that he's certainly a player with the right game for the course watch this space we'll all be looking out for your column probably early next week do you reckon for the, uh, for, for the... Monday evening's the plan yeah Monday evening and then just finally I'm taking on each of our expert guests in a match bet each at different levels of the market where I give up my 
pick and then they invariably pick a better one at similar prices and with Ben we are going for the three figure prices uh, I'm going for Ryan Moore Ryan Moore is a, a, a guy who absolutely loves it at Augusta as well he was finished tied ninth there last year t- tied 12th in 2015 so certainly knows his way around um, has only missed two cuts there and I think eight uh, um, eight attempts eight eight times he's played, he's played he's got 10 finishes in his last four events as well so someone who at 125 to 1 I'm happy to have a few quid each way Ben, who, who have you gone for to take me on uh, around the kind of 125 to 1 mark? I have to say, George, you've chosen by some distance the most solid player at 100 to 1 or bigger. Get in. Um, which makes life slightly difficult. Um, it would have been Kevin Chappell, but he's got a back injury. Um, so I'm going to go with Jimmy Walker and roll the dice a little bit. Okay. Um, he's yet to miss a cut at the Masters in four starts, uh, includes a top 10. Uh, his biggest weakness is, is inaccuracy with the driver, but that's not really punished at Augusta. Uh, and he's shown some better signs lately. He's got a few health problems, but lately they appear to be under control and he's been shooting some, some good numbers in isolation. Maybe a return to Augusta will enable him to shoot four good rounds. I think it's 2-2 between him and Moore over the last four years. Um, and given that Walker would be odds against in, in a match bet, I'll take him as a decent value. But I have to say you've chosen a very, very difficult opponent to beat. Cheers, Ben. You're not getting any, any odds against off me, though. But, um, but good pick. So Walker against, against more in the first match bet. Thanks very much, Ben. Cheers. From one of the shrewdest tipsters around now to a broadcaster who will be at Augusta yet again this year with the BBC, Rishi Passad. Um, so Rishi, you're obviously someone who um, gets to go to a fair few high-profile sporting events. Um, luckiest man on earth, I'd say. Best job in the world. <laughs> but uh, how does um, the Masters and being Augusta com- compare to, to the other things you go to? Well, I have to say, George, I am, as, as you rightly point out, very, very lucky to, to have the job that I do. Um, I'm sure lots of people would love that position and lots of people would love to be able to go to the events that I get to go Uh get to go to and certainly the Masters would probably be just about the best event that I cover it's it's just the most magical place to visit it's the one place I think that I visit where it's better to be there in person sometimes than to be in front of your television watching something I know growing up like many people watching the Masters on television was iconic and yes I have some great memories of watching the Masters when I grew up but to be there, to walk the fairways, to be able to get up close and personal to some of the players. It is an absolute joy and privilege, and I pinch myself every year I go. So special that Sergio Garcia, defending champion, has of course named his daughter Azalea after the flowers. But <laughs> on A lot's made of, um, of rookies coming to Augusta really struggling, and I mean, seeing close hands, what the course is like, and, and the atmosphere around it, do you think it's fair to say that these guys coming to Augusta for the first time and probably overawed by the occasion? It, I've seen it happen before. Good players have arrived, uh, players who've looked pretty smart, pretty good, uh, excellent long games, excellent short games. But it is the only major, as you obviously know, where they repeat the, the, the tournament there every year. So knowing where to hit your ball in the wrong place is crucial to any player at Augusta, whether you're an old hand or a, a newbie. But the newbies, obviously, will not have that much of an idea as uh, some of the guys who've been there year after year. And basically, as we all know, anybody who's picked up a golf club, uh, it's who can hit uh, the bad shots well. And Augusta, if you hit the bad shots badly, you get seriously punished. And sometimes you can hit 
shots that you think are pretty decent in terms of uh, accuracy and, and how close you are to the pin or where you want to be on a fairway. But ultimately, because of the lay of the land, you're actually not in the best position and you're going to be struggling with your next shot, etc. Uh, so in, in, in all honesty, uh, experience at Augusta probably counts more than anywhere else. And we've seen, I mean, you talk about experience and, and, and how tough it is. I mean, we've seen Rory McIlroy, obviously, I think it was 2011. We've seen Jordan Spieth and, and Justin Rose last year, three guys who are no strangers to winning, um, fall apart on the Sunday afternoon uh, at Augusta. What kind of a character do you think it really takes to, to win the Masters? Well, it has to be the character that believes in themselves, believes in the fact that they are the best player in the world on that given day, uh, which is strange when consider that last year's winner was Sergio Garcia, who I remember interviewing a few years ago when I first started working on the Masters and asking him whether he felt he had the belief to win a major, and he actually said no, and almost definitely not at Augusta. Uh, yet, he managed to go on and win it last year. I think a lot, of, a lot depends on your state of mind, uh, on, especially on that final day, and I think Sergio actually, the fact that away from the golf course over the last year or so, uh, he felt that he was in a much better mental place. That certainly uh, transmitted itself in his golf at the Masters. And mentally, he was much more prepared to win a tournament uh, last year than he'd ever been before. And it's that belief that you are the best in the world uh, in the most enormous pressure on that Sunday where you know, that the importance of winning the green jacket is all that matters. Uh, you have to have that, you know, that Tiger Woods four Masters titles, Phil Mickelson three Masters titles, Bubba Watson from the most impossible position. He felt he was going to do it, and it's that belief that separates, you know, the, the great golfers from the ones who struggle to get over the line. You mentioned Tiger Woods's name there, and, and talking about the, the belief that you're the best golfer in the world. I mean, I think most people believe that he's the greatest golfer to ever grace the planet, and, and here he is. You know, against all odds, amongst the favourites for the Masters this time round. I mean, could, could he do it? Are we going to see him in red in contention on Sunday? Yeah, I've listened to a few of the experts talking about it, and obviously people who know more about the game than I do, and some of them feel that it, it's going to be very difficult for him to win it. Um, I, I don't think it's going to be that difficult in terms of the fact that he has been in the top 10 in a couple of events now. Uh, you know, if we were talking about a player who was just coming onto the tour and or re-establishing themselves having not been the type of player that Tiger Woods was, then yes. But Tiger Woods is a player who knows how to win. He knows how to win at Augusta. He knows every blade of graph, to coin a cliche, at Augusta, better than almost any other player lining up in that field. Um, his record there is absolutely fantastic. He has come back off a long layoff and played well. Now, this is the first time in a very, very long time that Tiger Woods is coming into uh, Augusta playing good golf. I think the last time he, he, he turned up playing this sort of golf was back in 2013, where if he hadn't hit the ball on 15 on the pin and it spun back in the water, uh, he might well have gone on to, to win that year's Masters. Absolutely. And, if, and if, looking at the backing market, you'd be, you'd be forgiven to think that it's a weak year just looking at the prices because you've basically got 10 to 1 the field. But it's actually quite the opposite. You've got so many of the world's best golfers coming into form at the right time. You know, you've got McElroy, Thomas, Dustin Johnson, Tiger Woods, Jordan Spieth, Justin Rose, Bubba Watson, Jason Day, Phil Nicholson, Ricky Fowler, even John Rahm. I mean, he, he's about 10th down on the list. 
yeah. who who are you looking at thinking you know from those favorites or from the from the guys expected to go well who do you think looks set for a big a big run well i would love from a, a member of the media covering the masters i would love to see the tiger Woods story unfold because it would be the most extraordinary story in sport in a very long time to see someone uh, as brilliant as he was had his fall from grace then came back still became world number one five or six years ago and then suddenly he drifted off injuries and to see what he's done in such a short space of time if he was to come back I think a lot of people sort of wrote him off this time last year we thought some people thought we would never see Tiger Woods ever again on a golf course in a competition Um, and if he came back and won it it would be a brilliant story but I like you uh, am a punter (laughs) and I might have a a pickle or two along the way and the person for me is Justin Rose uh, of the of the leading players, he is Mr. Consistency. You know, he's been in the top ten in the last three years of Augusta. He tied for second in 2015 uh, behind Jordan Spieth, um, and last year he was second behind Sergio Garcia. And I don't know whether a lot of people know this, but he he was carrying a back injury on the final day. He carried a back injury all the way through the tournament, and in fact, for a large part of last season. His consistency so far this year has been fantastic. Lots of top ten finishes. He won in uh, he won the Turkish uh, Airlines Open back in November. He's playing very well, um, and I think you know he's got better and better at Augusta. You know, he, he every year he's come back. He's he's so consistent there. I think he's had four top ten finishes in the last six years. Um, it's quite extraordinary his consistency, and I'm sure he'll be involved again. And he would be the the rock solid bet for me. Listeners will be bored of hearing me say it, Rishi, but uh, he broke my heart last year and I've been backing him basically ever since that Sunday uh, for this year's event. So we'll be in it together. Um, but I wish I'd known about the back injury before the day's play because I may have taken evasive action. Um, uh, and uh, obviously taking on uh, each guest on the podcast with a pick of my own in a match bet. Um, with yourself, I've gone for Matt Kuchar. I think a lot of people think that Cooch isn't having the greatest of seasons this year, but uh, I think I saw enough in the match play last weekend to suggest to me that he is playing well. Um, he should have beaten Kisner uh, when he got knocked out, really. Um, he's still Mr. Consistent, never misses a cut. And a lot of people with, with Cooch seem to think that he, he's not a winner, which is fair enough. But I do think in the Open last year, you saw a steely determination that we didn't, weren't used to seeing with Cooch. And having hit the front after Jordan Spieth's meltdown, I think that um, he couldn't have done anything to stop what was about to happen with Jordan Spieth at the, at the back end of Burtdale. And I think at 66-1 to 1 for a player who, who absolutely loves it around Augusta is a very fair price indeed. Um, but Rishi, who are you taking me on with around, around about that price? I am going to take you on uh, with a guy who I think is uh, also able to enjoy himself around Augusta. Uh, he's also pretty consistent. He's had not a bad start to the year, a couple of top ten finishes. And Aussie... Mark Leishman, he knows his way around majors, he knows his way around Augusta. In, back in 2013, he finished uh, in the top five uh, at the Masters. Didn't play too badly last year at Augusta. Um, he's had one or two problems off away from the golf course, obviously, personal problems with his, his wife being unwell, etc., uh, for a few years. And that, that sort of set him back for a, a couple of seasons at Augusta where he missed the cut a couple of times in between that top five finish in 2013 and playing a bit better last year. And I know last season he, he was a little bit more free on the golf course. You know, he, he was also in the, in the top ten at uh, the Open as well, um, behind Jordan Spieth and Matt Kuchar. So he's a, a big 
big, big tournament, major player, uh, and I think sort of he'll be a big prize around 66s, 50 to 1. Um, and if I'm going to take on head to head with Cooch, I'm going to go with another player who also knows his way and can plot his way around to a top 10 finish at Augusta. And Mark Leeson is my man. Mark Leeson, 60 to 1 with Betfred. Cooch is currently 70 to 1 with Betfred. Um, but they are both a lot shorter elsewhere, so make sure you do use Odds Checker before you have your bet to get so you're getting the best price. Thanks very much, Rishi. Cheers for taking the time to speak to us. Pleasure. Enjoy. Rishi Pasad there from Dubai, where he is covering the Dubai World Cup. Some life, some job he has there. Now speaking to someone from Canada, Pat Mayo from the Pat Mayo Experience uh, for DraftKings. Pat, great to have you on the podcast. Um, been a big fan for a long time. Maybe for those people who, who haven't uh, listened or, or watched on YouTube the, the Pat Mayo Experience or, or don't play DraftKings, you can give us a brief um, kind of intro in, into what it is you do and, and about the show. Yeah, so, I mean, if everyone wants to go watch the Pat Mayo Experience, you can find that on the DraftKings YouTube page or just download the podcast. I mean, it's every single day. It's uncut. It's uncensored and completely free. So I think that's the big draw to it, the free stuff that comes out. And as long as it stays free, people can't really kill me for some of the bad picks that I end up making. Although, riding a hot streak coming in, so that's always good news. But the big thing that I really want to impose on people here, if you enjoy throwing down on golf at all you need to get on fantasynational.com the best stat database for the pga tour not a whole lot of euro data out there right now because frankly the european tour is just getting tipping the toes into the water of the whole data market so the the more you can figure out data the better you better chance that you're going to have of coming away a winner when it comes to the masters at least that there's your free plug pat um so uh, talking and i think in the uk as well the, uh, the the american stuff is normally more popular i think people like settling down uh, on a sunday evening to watch the golf rather than uh, than in the afternoon and, and obviously better fields as well um the the masters is a massive massive deal uh, over here arguably i'd say it's bigger than, than the open championship is that the case um over in canada and in the states as well hey yeah it's it's the one that is going to draw in the most non-golf fans. I mean, golf fans themselves are going to get up and watch golf whenever it's on, especially if it's going to be a major. But people like my dad, who enjoy golf, they're only going to watch it once a year. They're going to watch Sunday at Augusta. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Fair enough. I think it's similar here. And, and you know, people who, who who don't necessarily watch a lot of golf might look at the betting market and see Tiger Woods in there at about a, at a single figure price with, with some firms amongst the favourites and, and be pretty surprised. I mean, how, how do you rate his comeback? I mean, it looks to me like he, he's the Tiger of old. It's stunning to me that he is playing so well. I, I really can't get over it. That I, I I thought that he could compete in maybe a tournament, maybe two this year, and it would be at one of the places like Valspar, not because Valspar is an easy course, Copperhead's actually incredibly difficult, but it would be one of those tournaments where no one else was at. Like, the last time that we remember Tiger actually competing in anything was like the Wyndham Championship in 2016. It'd be one of those tournaments where I thought that he might pop up on a weekend, and I really emphasize the word might. So, (laughs) as someone who grew up watching Tiger as his favorite golfer, this is just incredible, although 10 to 1 is ridiculous. Yeah, it does, seem, it does seem on the short side. Still some 14 to 1 around. Um, and if you're looking, you know, who'd have thought that he'd be the same price as Jordan Spieth going into a Masters? We have Rory McIlroy as, as, you know, slight favourite ahead of Justin Thomas and Dustin Johnson. I mean, who do you think? We spoke to Ben Coley about this earlier. Who do you think, in your mind, is, is the rightful favourite, should be going into this competition with the best chance of winning? 
Well, I mean, the, the rightful favorite and best chance of winning, I suppose, are, are two different things. I think Rory and Dustin do deserve to be the two favorites. Dustin's the best player in the world, and Rory coming off the greatest putting performance of his career, which does worry me a little bit that that was the only way that he could win was gaining over 10 strokes on the field with his putter when, frankly, he's not a very good putter. Yeah. And people are going to look back at his master's history and see, oh, my God, four straight top 10 finishes. Rory's definitely going to win, but... The sneaky thing is that Rory basically did a Matt Kuchar at the last four matches. He was never in contention in any of them. He just had really hot Sundays, got himself into the top ten, and got himself paid. So I think Rose and Speed are the two prohibitive favorites in my mind going in. I know that people are going to look at Jordan Speed and say, hey, he's having a terrible year. It's not all that terrible. This is where Fantasy National really comes in because you can isolate what's going right and what's going wrong. You look back over the players' past 24 rounds, Jordan Spieth is first in the field, tee to green. He is first in the field, tee to green, over the past 50 rounds. The thing that he can't do, he's putting like Adam Scott within 10 feet. <laughs> so if that flips for him, and this is going to be, since we haven't watched uh, Houston yet, this is going to be the first time that he's on bent grass all year. Generally an excellent bent grass putter. And, frankly, at the Masters, it's all about knowing the greens rather than just being a great overall putter. Hell, if Sergio can win anywhere, or Adam Scott can win, or Bubba Watson can win, you don't need to be the greatest putter. So all he needs to do is see his putting normalize a little bit. Just putt right around tour average, and he's going to be at the top of the leaderboard again. Yeah, he is 14-1 to 1 best price, which does seem big. I mean, you touched on Bubba, and what's happened in the last couple of weeks with Bubba has been absolutely unbelievable. He was 66-1 to 1 for the tournament just three weeks ago. He's now as short as 12-1 to 1 in places, 18-1 to 1 with Betfred. Uh, a guy who's won twice at Augusta, he, he, I mean, he's certainly got the game for it. He looks like he, he could be in for a big run as well. I think so. I grabbed Bubba the morning of Riviera because it just seemed different. And any time that Bubba plays well at Riviera, he tends to go on and play really well at Augusta too. So I grabbed him at 50 that morning, and then wow. immediately his odds dropped in half once he won Riviera. And now, again, they're down, down again with his second win of the year. It's hard to win three times this early in the season. I mean, if anyone can do it, obviously, like you said, he has the track record to really don the green jacket again. But I don't know if I would touch him at a sub-20 price, to be perfectly honest with you, because I think that unless Spieth wins in Houston or comes inside the top 10, that 14 number is going to drop. Yeah. People don't want people don't like Jordan Spieth to begin with. I'm generally in that camp. He's the most aggravating player to watch out there. But if his number continues to fall from, like, 14 down to that like Jason Day 18 number god forbid no one bets him and we get a 20 something like that <laughs> I, I just don't see myself betting anyone else yeah it makes sense and you mentioned um, Day I mean I think Jason Day and John Rahm are the two players who, who you know they're, they're guys who could have feasibly have been amongst the favorites a couple of a couple of weeks ago really uh, maybe not with Day but but certainly with John Rahm and they're they're touching 19 with Day and John Rahm is because 25 to 1 um, Ram obviously going into his second uh, Masters tournament. Those two, you know, seem to be very popular as well with uh, with the punters. With Jason Day and John Rahm, I guess the big things are, and I think this is the distinct difference that if you're just betting on outright markets or you're playing DraftKings, and it's yeah. nice to leverage the two against each other sometimes. That some players have a lot of win equity, and you want to take them. I mean, Siwoo Kim is the biggest win equity player on tour. You just bet Siwoo Kim every week. You never play him in DraftKings because he's either going to win or he's going to come <laughs> in dead last. Yeah. So it, you always just get more value on him when you pick him as an outright winner. And I feel like Jason Day is shaping up to be that guy because no one's going to own him. John Rahm 
very much the same way. You have to use game theory on drafting and say, hey, I'm competing against 150,000 people. I need a few players who could really spike that are going to make the cut that I don't necessarily know if they're going to win or not, but I can see them coming inside the top five. That's how I feel about Day and Rom. Day is just not hitting his irons well right now. The only reason that he won this year is because he was lights out on the greens, and I always think that you want to go tee to green over putting. Tee to green tends to be consistent. The way that I always kind of describe it is Adam Scott's like the worst putter in the world. But in <laughs> any four-round stretch in a tournament, he could be the best putter in the field that week. Wesley Bryan is never going to outdrive up <laughs> one. It's just never going to happen. Yeah. So taking tee to green is always the way that you want to go with it. And Rom, well, he is putting not as well as Jason Day. He's putting well. And his tee to green game is just way better. And I like that he got that year of experience underneath of him last year. And he was in the hunt after two rounds. If everyone forgets, it was just Saturday when he played with Freddie Couples and got beat by Freddie Couples yeah. that he had his Masters blow-up. Everyone goes through a Masters blow-up round before they actually go to the next level. So I think that Rom is way too off people's radar right now. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's interesting. I mean, you, you, you've said very similar stuff to Ben Coley about, about putting and maybe myth-busting the idea that you have to be hot on the greens or a consistently good putter to win at Augusta. Um, looking at kind of away from the top end of the market at, at the players who are bigger prices, who will obviously be cheaper on DraftKings, who are the guys who stand out for you this year? Well, I mean, even if we're talking about the outright market, like, I think that Adam's, I keep mentioning Adam Scott, it's because I actually did play some juice on Adam Scott. He's down to, like, 70 to 1 on some places. Yeah. And ball striking-wise, he's Adam Scott. Yeah. He is 8th tee to green in this field. He's 8th in approach. He's killing it off the tee. Just crazily enough, the guy can't putt. But we've seen him win here before. And I, I, I had money on Adam Scott last year. And watching him, him and Paul Casey, actually, and watching them, stick every approach shot to eight feet and basically not convert one of those putts was kind of aggravating. I was on two, Pat. I was on two, and, I, and I, I said to myself then, I'm, I'm never backing him again. I can't put myself through it. Watching a guy miss that many putts and putting it so close, it's just it's, it's bad for the heart. Well, I mean, if you think about Adam Scott, like where his number's so deep now, like last year, I think he was 30 to one. The year before that, he was 17 to one, 15 to one when he had won those two Florida events, and now he's 70? Like, you're getting excellent both-way odds on that. You're getting excellent top-five odds on that, and we know he can win. So at 70-1, to one, I don't hate that. I like DeChambeau from down the list, too. I hate his number that it's only 80. I was hoping to grab him, like, the mid-hundreds or yeah. something like that, but I think that the books, are a bit, the books are a bit savvy. You can probably find a better number, but I just remember back to when he was the amateur. He was playing with speed, and he had that one horrible hole in the second round. Uh, he triple bogeyed 18 on Friday. I believe it was 18. Anyway, he hit it on the cart path and just couldn't figure it out. But he made the weekend. He came T21, and he looks like a different player. He's the best par 5 scorer in the field coming into this week so far this season over the past 24, 50, and 100 rounds. He just can't putt. He's one of these other guys that just can't putt. But it seemed like he had something figured out a little bit at Augusta. And although he loses strokes putting on all three putting surfaces, He's four times better on bent grass than he is on Bermuda. Really? Seven times better on bent grass than he is on Poe. And his only win came on bent grass. So I think if you're looking for like a top 10 play, DeChambeau is the one. And if you just want to roll the dice, Pat Perez is like 150. Hadwin's 150. You can get Abby Burnrad at 200. And then Kevin Chappell. I'm worried about the back, but he's been lights out in both of his Masters appearances He's 150 right now, and those odds are only going to drop. So even if you wanted to bet like the 150 or the 175, 
and then get you know one fourth the odds for the each way bet. I, I like that a lot. Well, the good, you've, you've literally just ticked off all the guys I was going to ask you about. I was going to ask about Chapel and, and if there's any noises coming out over there about his back issues, but I, I suppose we'll have to wait and see. Um, Apaban Rat's also another one that in, interests me. Um, obviously, tied fifteenth in his first year at Augusta, which is you know pretty good going by any stretch, and he looked to be hitting the ball really, really well in the in the match play. I just look back again to. I was so surprised at what Abby Bernrat was able to do last year that, again, it was just one bad round that sunk. But I know you can kind of make that excuse for a lot of people that, oh, yeah, you need to play four good rounds if you're going to end up winning the Masters. But I, I just think showing consistency, showing some form, and understanding how to play the course and seeing that from people is really huge. And he clearly showed that last year. And I, I just I don't think that he's going to win. But where his odds are so deep that you get – if you can get him in contention – yeah. come Sunday. And that's one of the reasons that I like taking a lot of these long shots. And I think that Hadwin, Chapel, and Perez all fall in the same boat as well. That if you can get them in contention come Sunday, and they can play in that final group, or they can play in one of the final three groups, you have so much leverage to wager against. Whether it, Let's say there's only one of the big dogs up there. Whether it's Rory, Dustin, Tiger, Thomas, you can bet those guys 10 to 1 right now, or you can leverage your 200 to 1 yeah. into getting like a plus plus 200 on Sunday and knowing that you had that guaranteed money like it just creates such a good hedge situation that I really like it yeah no absolutely makes sense and and, and with the um first round leader bets which I know you're very keen on I mean the markets aren't out yet obviously I think normally about 50% of the bets we see on the first round leader markets normally go on Charlie Hoffman um what, what what do you normally look for when you're making a selection there for me, my first-round leader strategy is a lot different than a lot of people's. The one I've used, it's honestly the most successful bet that I make every single week. I generally play 8 to 10 first-round leaders. I rarely dip below 90 to 1 when it comes to odds because that's kind of how it has to work. That The whole strategy behind it is if you hit one of these over 100 to 1 guys and you hit one during a week, you're safe for 10 weeks. You're profitable for 10 weeks if you hit just one of them. Yeah. And if you just go back and look at some of the first-round leaders, uh, tournament to tournament. There's a lot of scrubs that end up at the top of the leaderboard after 18 holes. So I think that's a really inefficient market. I really do uh, like to find the places that offer the both way odds on the top tens, though, because even if you get one of those guys, uh, whether you have the top five each way, the top six, top seven, top eight on the first round leader, if you can get one of your guys in there at one fourth the odds, you still turn a mini profit for the week, or you just get money back, and then you can reload for the next week. But the Masters. It's a little bit different because where the field is so small, like right now we're only dealing with 83 players, that yeah. you're not going to get substantially large odds on anyone outside of Mike Weir, who's definitely not going to be first-round <laughs> leader. So you need to look at the back end of that field. So, I mean, Charlie Hoffman's definitely going to be on the curve because he's always on the curve. When it comes, he's Mr. First Round. So yeah. You always get him on. So I would look to the back end where, whether it's a Jason Duffner type, a Kevin Kisner uh, you know, like you said, Charlie Hoffman, Daniel Berger, just these guys are all excellent players. Ross Fisher is another one. Jimmy Walker has a great Masters track record. Yeah, yeah. He just happens to have Lyme disease. But <laughs> it's cut his odds down to 175 to 1. I would think that for a first-round leader that he's going to be somewhere in like the neighborhood of 125, 100. That's not a bad bet to take. You just kind of sprinkle five or six of those guys as your first-round leaders, uh, and then you just go on your way. But the best bet that I found, if anyone can find it, and I know that different books offer it and some other books don't, is the two-make-the-cut parlay for the Masters. Top 50 in ties, I'll get through to the weekend, 
and then anyone within 10 strokes of the lead. So unless you're dealing with like a Jordan Spieth situation from three years ago yeah. when he was just trouncing the field, you could get upwards of like 60 players to make the cut. And the books tend to be inefficient on this one as well, that they'll offer pretty decent odds. I mean, it's going to be like Jordan Spieth and Dustin Johnson minus 3,000 to make the cut, that kind of thing. You don't want to touch that. But if you can parlay those bets together, I made one last year, a 14-person to make the cut parlay that Shane Lowry's plus nine on Friday really sank for me as he was the only one who missed it. But with the shrunken field this time around, and we're talking about some of the guys in the field like Larry Mize, Ian Woosnam, (laughs) six amateurs, Brett Couple. Like, there's guys that are dead money in this field that aren't making the cut anyway. So if we're thinking that, let's say, 55 makes the cut, and there's only 83 players, 15 of them are dead money. If you can round, run round-robin parlays or even just straight parlays on the guys that are like minus 200, minus 250 to make the cut, you could see a gigantic payday. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the, to make the cut, odds will be on the odds checker site when the bookies do start coming out with them. Finally, Pat, I'm taking on each of the uh, expert guests we've got on the show in a match bet where I picked someone and you've got to get someone against me at a similar price and I have plumped for Hideki Matsuyama here 35 to 1 best price years with Bet365 obviously concerns about his injury um, withdrew a couple of weeks ago from the uh, from the waste management in Phoenix and then two pretty shoddy displays in the Arnold Palmer and in the um, in the match play but before that at the turn of the year he had four top tens in five he was hitting the ball very very well indeed I think we've seen before how he can come to life in Masters and in WGC events. Um, if you look at his uh, his run in the US Open last year, he came off the back of a really, really poor tournament the week before. And you do feel like, even though there's not a lot to like in what's happened in the last few weeks, uh, the fact he's number six in the world and can be found at that price at a course where he goes well at as well, with two top 10 finishes and tied 11th last year, he looks like a big price to me. But Pat, who have you gone for to, to, to beat me and to beat Hideki? really good price on Hideki because there's no real difference between him I mean, Paul Casey's going to go off at 20 to 1 and Hideki's going to go off at 35 to 1 you take Hideki 100 yeah. times yeah. out of 100 he's just a better player but uh, it was that 35 to 1 number that threw me off with this because I was going to take Sergio against him and then Sergio's number dropped so <laughs> I'm going to go with I keep saying his name I'll go double the odds the year 35 and I'll take Adam Scott up against Hideki Matsuyama in a head-to-head. And I'm not even going to make you pay me two-to-one juice on it. I just think straight up that he's going to beat him. There you go. Adam Scott, let's hope he, he packed his putter with him. Adam Scott against Hideki Matsuyama. That is George Ellick against Pat Mayo. Pat, thanks very much for taking the time to speak to us, and best of luck next week. Thank you so much. And, hey, i got a ton of Masters coverage every day coming out, starting from Wednesday all the way through through the third round. So everyone go check that out if you haven't yet. Great stuff, Pat. Uh, now we are joined by Oddschecker's very own resident tipster, Niall Lyons, who has been in phenomenal form this season. If you're looking for the man in form in the golf, we've certainly got the man in form in the tipping leagues. Uh, so, Niall, I mean, people who, who don't read your column for whatever reason should know that you've had a pretty good year so far, it's fair to say, over 80 points up for the year. It's a question I asked Ben earlier. I mean, do you, do you approach the Masters on majors in different ways when you're looking at who you're going to be tipping? Well, the, the majors are uh, slightly easier than week to week, especially with uh, Augusta, because we know so much about it and we've got so many form lines down the years. But uh, my record does tend to be shade better in the majors just because well I, th- I think it's because players 
you know all the players are trying when they turn up to a major. Yeah. You know, week week to week. Uh, you know, not that you can accuse players of not trying <laughs> or you know not not being a hundred percent on the job. But it's almost like you're talking about horse racing. Now you're saying non tries. It's an interesting thing of golf is not trying in a in, in a smaller <laughs> event. Yeah. Well, this week's a perfect example. In, in Houston, you know, week before a major. You know, who out of the you know, top five or six in the market are really trying and who's trying to own their game for next week? You know, Phil Mickelson has already said that he uh, plays a lot of shots this week in preparation for next week that doesn't suit this week's course. So, you know, there could be plenty of punters heading to the betting shops this week with Phil Mickelson in their docket really when, you know, he's playing shots that don't really suit the course this week. So, so you know, it, it's, all, it's always interesting the week before a major, like just the way up, you know, who's trying and who's not. You know, you've got space at the top of the market, towards the top of the market this week, and he could be possibly trying a lot harder than everyone else because he's the one struggling with his game the most out of them all, you know. Yeah, of course. I mean, look, looking at the Masters market now, it's, it looks like one of the most open or in ways um, yeah. Masters in a long time where you've got so many players either coming into form or or players at the, t- at the top of their game or at the top of the world rankings. I mean, the fact that Hideki Matsuyama is around about the 33-1 to 1 mark, um, despite being number six in the world, just shows how, how, how tough it is. Who, who's catching your eye initially at the prices at the moment? Yeah, well, as you say, it's one of the most competitive open markets I think we've seen in a major in a, in a fair way. Ten to one the field, basically. You know, is Rory going to get the Grand Slam? Is Thomas going to, you know, get his... First green jacket, Tigers coming back, Phil's there. They've all got fighting chances, but uh, the one that stands out for me towards the top of the market at the minute is uh, Jason Day. Yeah. He likes a solid enough bet to me. He's, he's lightly raced to this point in the year, which I think helps. He hasn't had too much competitive golf of late, but his, his win at 40 pounds earlier on the season was very impressive to me. I think Jason Day sort of hard time with it over the last couple of years with his, uh, his mum being ill with cancer and I think she's on the road to recovery and problems off the course can definitely translate the problems on the course so I think he, he'll be in a better frame of mind now and you know he's got a second and third place at Augusta before and yeah just the way he's playing he's drifted to you know about 23 to 1 on the machine and yeah. you know with the place terms out there I think he's for me, the most attractive bet at the minute. I mean, you talk about his, his struggles for form last year. I mean, since, since back-to-back missed cuts with the US Open and the Travellers, he's got uh, four top uh, top fives under, oh, sorry, sorry, four top tens under his belt, including that Australian Open where he really should have won it before falling apart yeah. on the back nine. Um, and he hasn't missed a cut since the Travellers. You know, the drift out from fourth in the world to twelfth in the world isn't necessarily because of form. You'd say it's more because of the, the you know the few events he's played. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, some people think that the lately race thing isn't great. Like they would like a bit more competitive golf. I see, you know, for me, it was the performance of the season at Torrey Pines. Just to, you know, to beat Alex Norn is playing out of his skin at the minute. Personally, I don't think he's he will be that suited to Augusta. But Norn was unbeatable that week. And yeah. what he did in the playoff, he was absolutely relentless. Despite days, you know, solid play down down those uh, playoff holes, he was relentless. Until the last hole, of course, you know when he when he messed it up a bit, but uh, just the manner of that victory, I thought will stand day in good stead if he gets into uh, contention. And and you mentioned how off field or off off course troubles can can hinder a player, and and you know we can't really 
chat about this year's Masters without touching on Tiger Woods. His price ranges from nine to one to fourteen to one currently. Where would you where, where would you have him? Would, would you be which side of him would you want to be uh, next week? Well, there's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot of talk about you know is this his true price? You know around the ten, eleven to one mark, and I don't think he can be a lot bigger. I think he's got every chance. You know he's. The last two tournaments he's played, there's only been a handful of golfers that have beat him. Yeah. You know, and those two fields have been littered with some of the best golfers in the world. So I know at the business end, he's kind of, you know, shot out of bounds with a few holes to go with the Arnold Palmer. It was, God, it was a big surprise, like, because you were thinking, you know, one or two more birdies is going to post a score here. But, you know, I think the price on the machine is potentially because, you know, a lot of maybe the, the professional traders will be looking to trade him whenever. But back he hits today. the leaderboard because I think yeah. if he hits the leaderboard at any time over Thursday or Friday, he goes ridiculously short. Well, we saw he, he was five to two after I think four holes a couple of weeks ago when he when he went birdie birdie on two and three, which just shows <laughs> how quickly people yeah. are happy to to kind of to, to wade in. Um, yeah, it won't, it won't take a lot for him to go short. So I don't think you know uh, betting firms all over the land can go can go a silly price. But I don't think it's far off the mark either. I think he's got every chance. You know, he loves Augusta, obviously. I always thought down the years, even when he was injured and out of the game, I was always telling people if he did get back, I, I always thought he would win the Masters again, simply because Nicholas done it in his mid-40s, and that was a massive story. He surpassed almost every record of Nicholas along the way, yeah. and that was one, you know, <laughs> to win the Masters in his 40s. That was one thing that I always thought he would aim for as well, just... Outdo Nicholas once again, and if, he, and if he does win at this time, I think he will do it, even though he was a few years younger than what Nicholas was when he won it last. It's certainly going to be interesting to see how Tiger gets on. Um, looking at kind of the bigger price ones, because we, we've spoken a lot about the, those at the top end of the market, and there are a few interesting bigger price guys out there. I mean, who's taking your fancy maybe for more of an each way bet with, with a squeak of getting involved? Well, there's a few towards the. Uh, Ryan Moore is one for me. Yeah. Uh, he was laying uh, two or three back going into the final day of the Arnold Palmer a couple of weeks ago, and he, he didn't didn't quite play well on the Sunday. But he's one. He, he's he's made a few swing changes swing changes of late, and uh, he, he seemed to me on the tally to last a fair bit of weight too. I don't know if that's true, but that's what I, that's what <laughs> we'll, I thought. We'll, we'll ask so people. I think, I think he's actually trying really hard, and it seems to me a perfect time in his career to start challenging for a few majors he finished ninth last year at Augusta that was his best performance there to date so uh, I think some things bode well for him and at 125 to 1 with some generous place terms out there he looks one, he looks one of the best outsiders for me I'm glad you say that because he was my outsider pick in the um, in my uh, in the match bet with Ben So and, and he agreed with me as I well know, so, is, that, is that a good thing so he's, he's a shrewdies pick it sounds like that, 100, that 125 to 1 if me, you and Ben are all getting involved that could not be there for very long uh, oh, nice one. at yeah. all um, anyone else fly, uh, looking looking kind of around that three yeah, figure market uh, one shorter? more uh, Bryson DeChambeau I think uh, he's laying around the 80 to 1 mark He's only played Augusta once, and he was uh, 21st there on debut. The interesting thing was that he led after 35 holes. He was he was in the lead going up the last on the Friday, and he drove it into the trees on the left and made a mess of the hole and tripled the 18th. So he was right around the lead and right in contention with you know a couple of days to go. Tracked Rory all the way and Arnold Palmer right to the finish as well. So I think you know he's a strange golfer to shamble obviously, and he's. Yeah. he's He's a bit eccentric, and you know, 
is clubs all being the same size, that kind of thing. I don't know. I don't know if it'll it'll ever translate to a major win, but it's it's possible. And it, um, his general attitude. I mean, he certainly believes in himself, doesn't he? Yeah, certainly. And you know, these young golfers have got belief, and just the the way he played the first you know thirty six holes at Augusta on his debut. Yeah, it, there's worse outside bats than that. Interesting to hear. I mean, two players who I've been looking at and haven't quite been able to pull the trigger yet, but similar profiles to DeChambeau in terms of decent debut Masters form: uh, Patrick Cantley and Kiridek Kapibanrat. Um, I mean, anyone who knows Kiridek uh, may find it tough to to, to back him uh, at, at the Masters. I mean, his most of his form has come in Europe or, or in Asia, but um, but someone who a couple of years ago I think finished fifth, tied fifteenth in his Masters debut and, and, and seems to be hitting the ball very, very well indeed in, in, in the match play. And then obviously Patrick Cantley, who was uh, Jordan Spieth mark one and then had some serious injury problems, which um, after making an amazing debut at, at Augusta, um, can you see any, any you know, uh, Cantley best price, 100 to one, Apu Banrat, 125 to one? Yeah, I think the Barnrat, uh, he, he looked good in the match play for, for a while last week and he puts very well, you know, you don't need to be a good putter to win around Augusta. You just need to have a good putting week. But the Barnrat definitely has a hot putter. <laughs> yeah. know, it's great to watch. And he's got an attacking game. And he can't be ruled out. You know, I backed him last year. And uh, he led, got into the final round. And he was, in fact, he led with a few holes to go. And he broke my heart, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, he's, he's a bit unreliable at times. That's the only thing for me. But. I think he, he could possibly get into the mix. He may, uh, I'd prefer to maybe bet on maybe top 20. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. And uh, Patrick Cantley, is, he's got his problems. Like, the slow play is yeah. it's, it's hard to watch. Uh, you know, a lot of people have been talking about him in the same... Obviously, when he was young, he had, you know, high aspirations, as you say. He was he was Jordan Spieth 10 years ago. But uh, since he's come back from injury, he hasn't totally convinced me, personally. There's a, lot, there's a lot of people who say, yeah, 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 he's one of the top players in the game even now, but he hasn't he hasn't won enough for me and is just as intricacies with a slow play. And I think he could be there or thereabouts. I was actually one who backed him on the machine four or five weeks ago, three figures, thinking he's definitely going to yeah. go off at, uh, at around 50s or 66s, and he's he's three figures plus on the machine now. And yeah. I don't. I don't think. I don't hold out, hold out an awful lot of hope for him. Yeah, he, his one win in the Trinus Hospitals uh, was in one of the worst playoffs I think I've ever seen with Alex Chaker and uh, Menry King. Yeah. Where it looked like none of them wanted to win it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, just, just finally, um, as as the you know listeners know, I'm, I'm coming up with with one for a match bet against uh, against the experts. And um, here I have gone for Justin Rose. I'm aware the price has kind of gone. I mean, it has gone at 14 to one, but uh, having broken my heart last year I still think that there he, he, he arguably <laughs> yeah I still think that along with Tiger Woods and Jordan Spieth he can probably um, argue that he is the best uh, Augusta player in the world I mean he, he's his record there's absolutely phenomenal he's a despite what happened last year I still believe he is a cold-hearted winner when he wants to be as well um, and when the putter runs hot he surely will be there or thereabouts but who have you who have you plucked to take me on around about the 14 to 1 mark um, against uh, Rose I can't totally agree with you on Rose on that. I think I backed him last year, twenty to one, heading into this, and there was a lot of good signs heading into Augusta last year. Yeah, I backed him previously at Torrey Pines a couple of months before that, and he got into the mix, and there was plenty of positives with his putter. But I haven't seen the same positives 
with his putter heading, heading into this event. I know, I know he won an awful lot after he lost the Masters last year, but uh, heading into the Masters this year, I, don't, I just don't think he's putting as well as what he was last year. And I think the price of you know, 14, 16 to 1, I would have him a lot bigger than that. So I would take anyone on around him, to be honest. Anyone? I think, oh, yeah, no. I, I think you're getting value. <laughs> and obviously, I liked... Uh, Jason Day, so we'll take Jason Day. We'll, we'll go for Day, but um, um, I, you, you've Jason taken, you've taken everyone. In terms of match bets, yeah. I think I do have uh, a bit of advice for punters. I think Alex Norm sitting around the forty to one mark. I'm watching him last week. His, his fade off the tee is getting more and more pronounced, even though he's playing great golf. Yeah, uh, his fade is getting more and more pronounced. And not that you really, I think, I think the. Uh, Kind of, there's a myth surrounding Augusta that you need to draw the ball. I don't think you really need to draw the ball. You just need to hit a straight ball. And that doesn't seem... I don't think Alex Norn can do that. He cannot hit a straight ball. Everything is left to right, which will be all right in a few holes. But, you know, you think of a second where you need to draw the draw the ball around yeah, the corner yeah. to get over the first bunker on the left to try and get it bounding down the hill to get it shot into the par five. There's a few more holes you know, where you definitely need to hit at least a straight ball if you can't hit a draw. So I think he's one big negative on it. He's sitting around the 40 to 1 mark, and there's plenty around there, the likes of Ustiz and Leishman. Yeah. Uh, you know, Garcia, you've got Fleetwood. I think if anyone's looking at a proper match bet to take on with the punters, I'd be taking on Alex Norton. Valuable as always. Look out for Niall's, uh, Niall's preview. It should be out. When should it be out, Niall? Uh, the Masters preview will be out uh, latest Monday morning. Monday morning on the Odds Checker site. So there we have it all. I'm sure you'll agree an absolute wealth of knowledge from our four expert guests. We've gone through most of the main players and given you some outsiders as well. Obviously, not everyone agrees. We've had people telling us that Justin Rose is a great thing and someone to get against. We've heard that Tiger Woods has value and, and we've heard he's too short. But hopefully you can cut through it all and find your way to some winning bets. Make sure you look at the Odds Checker site uh, on the grids to find all the markets, lots of offers, and uh, and obviously with a huge price uh, differentiation between the players, it's very, very important to make sure you're getting the best price for your bet. But most importantly, enjoy the Masters. It's sure to be another fantastic week. 